Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener and Patreon supporter, Carl. Carl writes, I have a show recommendation, Ray Bradbury's Zero Hour. There are many versions of this show, X-1, Escape, Suspense, and there may be other versions lurking out there too. First published in the fall 1947 issue of Planet Stories, Zero Hour is easily one of Ray Bradbury's most adapted stories. Its history on radio begins with Dimension X in 1950 and continues with Escape in 1953, Suspense in 1955, 1958, and 1960, Future Tense in 1974, and General Mills Radio Adventure Theater in 1977. For today's episode, I chose the 1955 version from Suspense, adapted and directed by one of this podcast's favorite radio artists, Anthony Ellis. This was nearly identical to the Escape version from two years earlier. In fact, according to author John Dunning, Escape's production shocked many listeners when it first aired, resulting in a deluge of letters and phone calls to CBS. This explains the ominous preamble given to the suspense version in which the announcer declares Zero Hour one of the most controversial plays ever presented over your radio. Now that you've been warned, let's listen to Zero Hour from Suspense, starring Isa Ashdown, Paula Winslow, and Parley Bear, with John Daner as narrator. First broadcast April 5th, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, Suspense brings you a repeat performance of one of the most controversial plays ever presented over your radio. It is called Zero Hour by Ray Bradbury. Starring Miss Isa Ashdown, here is tonight's Suspense play, Zero Hour. What a game. Such excitement they hadn't known in years. Mink talked earnestly to someone near the rose bush, though no one was there. Then the two little girls, shouting, laughing at each other. Such fun. Such tremulous joy. Mink ran into the house all dirt and sweat. For her few years, she was loud and strong and definite. And her mother, Mrs. Morris, peeling vegetables at the sink, watched with amusement as her daughter threw into a sack old pots and tools and things which were relegated to child play. Oh, my goodness, Mink. What's going on? Oh, the most exciting game ever. Just ever. Oh? It's all right. I take these things, Mom. Well, just don't dent them and it's all right. Thanks, Mom. We won't. Bye. All right, dear. Oh, what's the name of the game, dear? Invasion. Invasion? Invasion? 
invasion. And in the garden now, a serious concentration. Mink with an assortment of pots, pans, and wrenches, forks, spoons. And her friend Anna, a little younger, tongue in teeth, taking notes on a pad. This? This? And this. What's it say next? Wait a minute, Mink. Well, hurry up. Four, nine, seven, A, and B, and X. Four, nine, seven, A, and B, and X. A fork and a string and a hex, hex, hexagonal. A fork and a string and a, a hexagonal. What do we do next, Mr. Drill? And then Mink talking to the rose bush again. And to her own satisfaction, at least, receiving some kind of answer which she relayed to Anna. Triangle. How do you spell it? Oh, any old way. Doesn't matter. Now write beam. I haven't got triangle yet. Well, hurry. Zero hours by five o'clock. We haven't got all day. Then time out from invasion for lunch. Mink bolted down the soup and coincidentally crammed a sandwich into her mouth. Now you slow down, Mink. Whatever's waiting will wait a few minutes longer. But I can't. Drill's waiting for me. Drill? Well, that's a peculiar name. Is he a new boy in the neighborhood, dear? He's new, all right. Well, I don't think I've ever seen him. Uh, which one is Drill? Oh, he's just around. You'll make fun. Everybody makes fun. All the kids do. Well, I don't think that's very nice. Is Drill shy? Well, yes, in a way. I don't know. I gotta go now, Mom, if we're gonna have the invasion. Now, you finish your milk, miss. Who's invading what? Martians invading Earth from up there. Oh, I see. And, um, Drill's a, a Martian? I think so. He's had a very hard time getting here. I should imagine. They couldn't figure out a way to attack Earth. How to get in or something. And Drill says they have to do it by surprise. And even get help from your enemy. Oh, a fifth column, huh? Uh-huh. And all this time, they haven't been able to figure out how to attack until one day they thought of children. Well, that was bright of them. And they thought of how grown-ups are so busy, they never look under rose bushes or on lawns. Oh, that's where Drill is now, uh, under the rose bush? Uh-huh, with all his friends, too. And there's something about kids under 11 with imagination. It's real funny to hear Drill talk. Well, it must be. <laughs> you better run along out if you want to have your invasion before dark. Oh, and bath tonight. School tomorrow, you know. Drill says I won't have to take any more baths. Oh, he does, does he? And we can stay up till 10 o'clock. Well, your friend, Mr. Drill, had better mind his P's and Q's, or I'm going to call up his That's mother. That's just it. Drill says you're dangerous because you don't believe in Martians. Just like you think Drill's a kid. Well, he's not. And they're going to let us run the world when they get in. All of us kids. And I might even be queen. Well, that's nice, dear. Now, run along. Mom! What is it, dear? Mom, when the invasion comes, we'll have to get rid of you and Daddy. But I'll be sure it won't hurt very much. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Are you in town? Oh, no, I'm in Danbury. I was just thinking of you and thought I'd call. Oh, it's long distance, though. You shouldn't. Oh, I can afford three minutes. How's Henry? Fine. And Bill? Oh, just fine. What about Mink? Oh, wonderful. Noisier than ever. 
Oh, she's got a, a new game now. It's taken the place of hopscotch. Invasion. Is she playing that, too? Well, yes. Are yours? Same thing. Some kind of geometric jacks, I suppose. Isn't it a screen? You know, all the kids their age are playing it up here. Timmy's got a crush on some guy named Drill. I think that's what it is. Oh, it, it must be a new password. Mink likes him, too. Well, I didn't know it got to New York. Word of mouth, I suppose. You know, kids. Funniest thing, I got a letter from my sister in Boston. She says her kids are playing it, too. It's just sweeping the country. Well, I... I wonder where they learned it. Mm, don't ask me. All I know is what Timmy told me at lunch. Zero hours at five o'clock. When? Today. That's when the invasion's got to be. Oh, these kids and their imagination. <laughs> They talked a little more. Schoolgirl friends. Casual woman talk. But Mrs. Morris was thoughtful. She was thinking of other things, of adults, of children with imagination, rose bushes, dimensions. She thought of how much she had forgotten about being a child. And she wondered about Mink and all the kids who were at that moment playing invasion. Kiss for Mink. I will, and to Bill and the kids. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. An hour drowsed by. It was three o'clock. There was an occasional hum inside the coolness of the house as a car passed outside. The street was lined with good, green, and peaceful trees. And all across the city, in other gardens, in other places, children under eleven were excitedly playing a game, talking to rose bushes and grass lawns, trees, and shrubs. Even children in apartment houses, high in the air, conferring with potted plants cactus and ivy. Mrs. Morris finished her housework and went to the kitchen. Oh, hello, dear. Hi, Mom. Can I have a glass of water? Of course, I'll get it. Hi, R squared. 47. A over 56 to the 7th degree. X, T, 7. What, dear? Oh, nothing, Mom. Oh, here you are. Thanks. How are things going? Huh? The, uh, Invasion. Oh, that. Yes, that. Almost finished. When everything's right, Grill said we should be ready on time. Five o'clock? That's right. How'd you know? Helen called me from Danbury. She says that uh, Timmy's playing it, too. Hey, that's keen. I guess all the kids are, aren't they? No, not all of them. Not guys like Jimmy Wood and Bob Wilson. They're growing up and they make fun of us. They're worse than parents. They just won't believe in drill. They're so smart just because they're growing up. You'd think they'd know better. They were little only a couple of years ago. We'll get rid of them first. Drill says it's okay to kill them first. Amiga, I don't like that kind of talk. Do you hear me? I don't like it at all. Oh, now, I mean it. You keep on that way and there'll be no more playing. You'll have to tell Anna to go home and you'll stay inside until bedtime. I'm sorry. Well, I should think so. Thanks for the water, Mom. Uh, Mink... Yes, Ma? What did those, uh, those numbers mean? What numbers? Those numbers you were saying to yourself before. Oh, that. They're the things we have to do to get Grill and his friends out. That's all. Uh, look, dear. Why don't you and Anna go down to the drugstore and get some ice cream? You don't even have to use your allowance. I'll pay for it. Haven't got time, Mom. Thanks. Well, I, I'd never believe I'd hear you say that. I gotta go now, Mom. Oh, wait a minute. Uh... 
Minka, I want you to tell me the truth. What is this invasion silliness? It isn't silly. It's just a game. That's all. Now we're just playing an invasion. Excuse me, I gotta get back now. I'll see you later. It was a game called Invasion. Mrs. Morris's little girl, Mink, was playing it. So was Mink's friend, Anna, and all the other children under 11. It was called Invasion, and zero hour was to be at 5 o'clock. Mrs. Morris was disturbed. She wasn't sure why, but there was something... something about parents shutting ears and eyes to what was happening. And because she was disturbed, she did something she didn't usually do. She called her husband at the office. Hello, dear. Oh, hello, Henry. I'm sorry to bother you, but Miss Maxson said you weren't busy. Oh, not too. I should be able to get home early today. Everything all right? Yes. You all right? I, I'm fine. Mink? Oh, she's... Henry. What? Oh, nothing. I, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute. That's all. <laughs> Listen, are you sure you're all right? Oh, yes. Mink been getting on your nerves? Not really. Well, you tell her to behave, or when I come home, she and I are going to have a talk. As a matter of fact, she's been a little fresh lately, and I don't think it's good. Well, she's playing outside. She's fine. Honey, is something wrong? Why, no, I, I told you I, I was just thinking about you and wanted to talk, that's all. Nothing wrong with that. Not a thing. You go back to your work, dear. I'll see you soon. All right. What time do you think you'll be home? Oh, about five, maybe a little earlier. Five. Oh... Hey, what? Come on, what? Well, I... I was just thinking. Nothing, really. Just Mink and you and me. <sighs> Goodbye, dear. You are okay, aren't you? Yes, I'm fine. Goodbye. Goodbye. Another hour passed. And it was half past four. The day began to wane. The sun lowered in the peaceful blue sky. Shadows lengthened on the green lawn. Outside it was quiet. The two little girls more intent than ever upon their endless movement of design and pattern with the implements before them. Mrs. Morris watched from the window. And she had never known Mink to have such powers of concentration. She had turned on the radio and sat drinking a cup of coffee and turned over her thoughts. Children. Children. Children love and hate side by side. Sometimes children love you and hate you all in half a second. Strange children. Do they ever forget or forgive the whippings and the harsh, strict words of command? I wonder. I wonder. How can you forget or forgive those over and above you? Those tall, silly dictators. Those parents. Mom! Oh, what is it, dear? Have we got these of lead pipe and a hammer? Well, I, I don't know. They might be in the garage. What do you want them for? We just need them. Well, if you tell me what for, dear, maybe I can... Is something wrong? Just up halfway. If we get them all the way through, it'd be easier. Then all the others could come through after him. 
But can I help? Thanks, Mom. I can fix it. You better get through, Mink. I want you to take your bath before your father comes home. All right. Now, he's coming home early. And Mink... Mink! Mink had disappeared behind the shrubs. And Mrs. Morris knew it was ridiculous to make an issue of it. Besides, what was the issue? Invasion? Drill? Zero hour? Unaccountably, a cool breeze came up. And although normally for that time of year it would have been a relief... Mrs. Morris felt a chill. She closed the window. Time passed. A curious waiting silence came upon the street, deepening. Then from the living room, Mrs. Morris heard... Five o'clock zero hour. It had come. And now it had gone. But was the clock right? And Mrs. Morris, knowing how foolish it was, knowing it, went to the phone and dialed. Oh, silly. It's silly. The time will be exactly 4.54 and 20 seconds. Four fifty-four and 20 seconds. And Mrs. Morris knew that it wasn't as silly as she had thought, because it wasn't five o'clock yet. Not zero hour yet. Then the car drove up into the driveway. Hi, me. How's it going? Hi, Anna. Hi, Daddy. Bye, Mr. Morris. Got a kiss for your old man? Haven't got time now, Daddy. Well, that's a nice thing. What are you doing? We're playing invasion. Oh, well. Your mother in the house? Uh-huh. Okay, be good. I will. There are a few minutes, Daddy. <laughs> All right, I'll be ready. Mrs. Morris heard him chuckle. Then he stepped up the walk to the front door. Mary? I'm I'm in the living room, dear. Oh, hi. Our daughter didn't have time for a kiss. How about you? Uh, a hard day? No, not particularly. Would you like a cocktail? No, you read my mind. Martini? Perfect. Anything exciting happen today? No. Oh, Helen called. Oh. From Danbury, I... I told her she was crazy, but she just felt like calling. Like you calling me this afternoon crazy, huh? Hey, what was that all about? Well, I told you. I I just wanted to. Mm. Hey, incidentally, what's this new game the kids are playing? Invasion. That's a nice depressing thought. Is she all right? Come to think of it, she looked kind of funny. She's all right. But what's the time, Henry? A mm. couple of minutes after five. Why? No, no, the clock's wrong. By your watch. Oh, I've got two minutes, too. I'm probably slow. You got something on the stove? No, I... I just wondered. Honey. Hey, look at me. What's the matter? Nothing, really. No? No, really. Mink's been up to something. No, of course then not. What? I I guess I'm a little tired, upset, that's all. You want to go out for dinner? Oh, no, I, I've got a steak here. I'll tell you what, I'll barbecue it. How'll that be? Oh, fine. 
What? What was that? What? Well, I... I thought I heard something. Well, I didn't. I... I must have been imagining it. Hey, you are jumping. Why don't you have a drink? It'll do you good. No, I don't want one. What's the time? Mary, what is this? Now, I mean it. Something's wrong, and I want to know. Oh, it's silly. It, it's so silly. I, I'm on edge, that's all. Mary. I am. I don't like this. That kid's done something, hasn't she? I'm going to get her in. No, no, Henry, please don't. She, she hasn't. It, it's nothing at all. I just... What's that? I, I don't know. Those kids haven't got anything dangerous out there, have they? I noticed a lot of junk lying around. I, I thought it was a game. She wouldn't have done it herself. They made her do it. What the devil? Well, maybe you better go out and tell them to stop playing now. It's after five. You, you tell me to put off the invasion until tomorrow. Tell her. It is coming from outside. What are they up to? I better take a look. Think. Think. He ran after her, confused, not a little frightened. She seemed to know something. In the attic. Her mind had worked that quickly. Any excuse to get him away from the outside, to get him upstairs to the attic in time. And outside there were more explosions, and they could hear the children screaming with delight. It is not in the attic, it's outside. Me, there. what's the matter with you? No, no, I'll show you. Hurry! Get inside, quick. Now we're safe until tonight. Are you crazy? Why did you throw that key away? Well, maybe we can sneak out later. Maybe we can escape. Right, heaven's sake, the kid's out there. Do you want her to get clear? Oh, you don't know, you don't. We've got to stay here. We've got to. It's horrible. We've got to. You've got to stay here with me. At this point, I don't know how the devil I can get out. Where's that light? Oh, be quiet. Please be quiet. They'll hear us. They'll find us. Henry, please. Well, who's going to answer the telephone? There's that noise again. It's in this house. Mary, what is this? Mary, what's happening? You know, and I'll answer me. Stop it, Mary, stop it. Somebody's downstairs. Who's down there? Who? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, hush. Please, please be quiet. They might go away. Please, please. And between his wife's terror and the electric humming from below, Mr. Morris felt a great fear. They trembled together in silence in the attic. Mr. and Mrs. Morris, parents of the little girl. Then they heard steps coming up the stairs. And a voice. Mommy! Daddy! Where are you? And a queer, cold light became visible under the door crack. A strange odor and the alien sound of eagerness in Mink's voice was almost more than they could bear. Each wanted to scream. Mommy! Daddy! And another sound. And the attic lock melted. Mink. Mink with bright little eyes and tousled hair peered inside. And behind her Tall, wavering blue shadows. Frightful shadows.
Suspense, in which Miss Isa Ashdown starred in tonight's presentation of Zero Hour. Suspense is produced and directed by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Ray Bradbury and adapted by Mr. Ellis. The music was composed by Leith Stevens and Lucian Morowick and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Paula Winslow, Eve McVeigh, John Daner, and Beverly Handley. Sound patterns were by Bill James and Ray Kemper. This is the CBS Radio Network. That was Zero Hour from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener library suggestion from our Patreon supporter, Carl, who wanted to hear Zero Hour and didn't care really which one. There are a lot of versions of it out there, and uh, we chose the suspense version. Um, We did discover, just FYI, that the escape version is missing the first six minutes, at least all the versions I could find right. online. But the suspense and escape version, same cast, same script. They're like crazy identical. Yeah. So you can really say, having listened to this, that you've also heard the escape version. <laughs> I think so. It might not have had Parley Bear in it. I'm not sure. Right. But the mother and daughter at Mink are both the same performance. And, and I, John Daner was the narrator for yeah. the escape version. And I listened to both, and I couldn't discern any difference at all. So... Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Carl, for being a supporter and uh, for bringing that. Now, uh, as someone that is not a Bradbury aficionado, Mm -hmm. but the two of you and many others have read a lot and know a lot more about Ray Bradbury's work than I do, having just learned from what I know from you two in the last six years. Uh, So I am not familiar with Zero Hour, Hour, but it sounds like it's one of his uh, most classic and famous pieces. It's highly adapted for radio, at least. Yeah. Okay. We should record this. It's going to be a pretty exciting thing I'm about to say. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think this improves on the short story. I think that... Wow. Not wow. that it changes much at all from the story. It doesn't change anything from the story. It's just adding the layers of performance and uh, sound and music just to me, really heightens the tension. And one of the things I really love about this, particularly as a suspense story, is that it derives the suspense from somewhere slightly different from the usual plays produced for suspense, in that we're not wondering what's going to happen. I don't think the story is ever intending to make you think, oh, the kids are just imagining it. There's not really an alien invasion. I think you're supposed to know from the beginning they're absolutely... Mm-hmm. aliens um, and the suspense comes from will the parents figure out what you've already figured out in time and then it goes from suspense to dread as you realize no the parents aren't going to figure it out in time and then that just final horror when you realize that kind of the last out for the parents is that well is maybe mink going to be like oh no don't kill my parents but no she is implacable <laughs> she <laughs> leads the Martians for the express purpose of killing her parents right. to their hiding spot. Question, why was everybody so upset in 1953 when this first aired? I'm, I'm looking at it through today's lens that I 
You throw this on the air or on television today and no one bats an eye. Help me understand why people are so horrified by this. Is it children wanting to kill their parents? I think so. It's a child who lays out her argument for why she wants her parents dead, wants most adults on the planet dead. It's also in time of paranoia over Russians and you've got children as a fifth column. And there was other structure uh, to to jump in here is is to ratchet tension up, ratchet tension up. It is, as you said, like there's there's not a question of what's going to happen. It's just making you wait until it does. Right. And then you think it's time and know there's still a few minutes left. Right. Think it's time. And then when it finally pays off, that scene of the lock melting and being trapped in that room, like that's legitimately unnerving. I felt like I was listening to an episode of Fear on Four. Yes, no. I uh, see that, particularly of the snowman killings. Right. And even production-wise and narrative-wise, the narration in this is really interesting. I really loved it, how it was placed. It wasn't the driving force. It wasn't 100% narrated. It was narrated occasionally. You can make an argument it wasn't needed. But yet it added a huge amount of fun in the listening to it. I agree. And usually I don't like the third. Agree with me usually. (laughs) That is true as well. And usually I prefer a first person narrator if you're going to do this because it just, it creates more intimacy with the listener. If that character who you know who they are is speaking directly to you. But the third person distanced narrator I think gives the little bit of relief, the only bit of relief you get in this story because you are reminded that it's a story. Yeah. If you had to live with this much tension and be inside the character's head who's experiencing it, like the mother mm-hmm. um, or, or the husband, then that might be too much. Plus, you get a lot of Bradbury's great prose in there through the narrator. The the Bradburyness of it is is what makes that fit for me of his big push of thematically in this and all over his work of the unknown mysterious territory that children live in that is dangerous to them and to others and inaccessible to human to a human <laughs> adult <laughs> right. uh, perceptions yeah and it plays on a familiar bradbury trope of adults not listening to children but it is the dark version of this uh, whereas he plays the same idea in the screaming woman Yes, uh, where no one will listen to her that she's hearing the screaming and they think she's making it up. Um, and there she's virtuous and heroic and not making it up. Here, Mink is ruthless and evil and not making it up. That is my the one thing about this that I didn't enjoy uh, was for as much as Bradbury really wears his themes on his sleeve, if you don't have that, that context of knowing um, that broadly what he talks about, like this is also a metaphor about that new app your kids use is evil and is going to turn them against you. And that technology you don't right. understand is bad and you must protect kids from new things. Right. I don't think that is the intention of the story, particularly in contemporary worlds where people are, are like, uh, we must make sure that children don't have access to these books or these things. Yes. Um, or, you know, for my own generation of Dungeons and Dragons, that is the model I think of. of like, right. It's Satan, and it's getting into your house through your kids. It, the game of invasion uh, representation of, of that, except 
this time the adults were right. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and yeah, I guess I see the opposite. This is another thing where it's the adults ignoring or belittling what children are into, that parents aren't understanding their children, which is different from not prohibiting enough things. I just don't see that mess. I see how it could be manipulated to mean that, but I don't feel even a seed of that in here because his point is, I think, that there's this sort of gap between childhood and adult. And we don't, and there's another Bradbury theme, we don't often as adults reflect back on what it was like to be kids. It's an argument for empathy and connection that is lacking. In in fact, it is the inexplicable adult prohibitions that Mink is pushing against and that the presumably the Martians have manipulated this and told her some lies. It's not just that she's 100% woke up and went, I want to kill my parents. I, I think particularly having a broader view of Bradbury, that is a accurate theme. But if you don't, if you just this story and you ask, like, where's the danger come from? It comes from the things that kids have access to and they're doing that the parents don't see. Right. I think it's the exposure to other Bradbury that makes you see this in this one. I think by itself, that's not there, but it's a more common thing in other Bradbury, especially his old man approach to like shaking his fist at new things, which he does a lot. Well, then let's talk about the Velt, which also falls into this same children Mm -hmm. going bad (laughs) category and being exposed to things that they shouldn't have, although the adults gave them that one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the difference in that one, is that it's yeah. not something... When I was thinking about this earlier, like the categories were like TikTok and the Lindy Hop and things, you know, like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like a sentence that included both of those things together. That would encourage parents to see something they aren't familiar with and react with fear. Yeah, and I think that is in other Bradbury, but not at all in this. Like, it is in the Velt. That's technology they have access to that they shouldn't, and they're bad parents for giving them that technology. See, I I see it the reverse way. In the Velt, they understand that technology. Like, they don't understand what the kids are doing with it, but it's something... They look at that and they go like, well, it's just not working the way it's supposed to. Interesting. I think you're both right. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) I just have not realized until this very moment... uh, how much Bradbury hates kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, Bradbury loves kids. He's more empathetic toward children right. um, than he is to adults. I think he likes depicting the danger of being a child. Yeah. But, but I just also didn't the realize... joy. It's always a, it's always a double-edged <laughs> yes. sword. It's this sort of nostalgic, lost, utopian period that adults forget and block out. And that is both a, a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> They're both creatures of joy and feral ferocity yes it's true <laughs> like it, the little boy from mad max it is literalized um as this sort of dichotomy in uh something wicked this way comes yeah it's pretty much two boys as his two different uh, <laughs> yes. depictions of childhood in one story but we'll put a pin in all the other ray bradbury works so eric has something to talk about <laughs> well what other thoughts do we have on this i mean i will add to it structurally well acted well written well paced really listenable <laughs> you know I, it was it, it, it checks all of that uh, storytelling uh of audio drama as i was listening to it and it was f- more than 15 minutes in 
And I was getting little, like little cranky, like you have been at the same point, just refining it and refining it of like, it's sure. coming, it's going to happen, it's coming. And like, yes, I know. Uh, and then when it finally pops, I realized that like, oh, uh, they have just played me. That right. That's exactly <laughs> what they wanted me to feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Come on, come on, come on, which is what she's doing. Yeah. The entire time. Come on, come on, five o'clock. Yeah. And I also thought it does a great job having uh, the mother go from dismissal to, that's a little weird, to, whoa, and then getting kind of paranoid. Each step makes sense. At first, you would just play off Invasion, and even the fact that other kids in other parts of the country are playing it, you'd be like, well, that happens. It's some it's some new craze. We don't understand how kids manage to communicate that across the country, but it, it happens. Yeah, like, how um, do I know any of the yeah. games I played when I was a kid? I think it's great that the real moment is when Mink says about the older boys, they're going to be killed. Right. And that's the, whoa, we're now talking about killing people. And that makes sense as a parent, that that would be the point where, like, something is going on here. There's something wrong. When she's calling her husband on the phone. Another great scene. Yeah. And then, like, are you sure? Because you're calling me. Are you sure? And it is, again, playing with my... Good motions and like just tell them, just say it, right? Say it. But I then, was... how crazy does that sound? So I also understand yes. why she doesn't say it. Our daughter is planning an invasion of the Earth with Martians. I mean, right. she can't really say that. And I was taken by how he thought that was so weird and off-putting that she called him just because she wanted to talk and hear his voice. Because my reaction would have been, "Oh, thank you." I really actually quite like it because he... <laughs> I would have never caught on to that being weird. Been, oh, sweet, hi. I'd like to hear your voice too. Yeah, I don't think he was the typical male <laughs> no. jerk that we have, though, in old-time radio, like the husband no. or father. I don't mean that. I'm just uh, saying yeah, just that my... he tuned into it where you might not have. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that's what felt so, exactly. so real about it. Yeah. You're going to tune into your wife faster than someone else's. And he did too. His wife wouldn't call just to hear his voice. Yeah. Mine would. Yeah. <laughs> but if his wife called you... Uh, then I would also go, <laughs> Just oh, that's so oh, sweet. This is really You know strange. when I knew that something was wrong with the kid was when I found out the kid's name was Mink. <laughs> <laughs> is that short for something? I don't is know. It, it's uh, weird. It had I mean, to be a nickname. Only two times I think of somebody with that name is Mink Stoll, the uh, yeah. John Waters collaborator. Oh, oh. Yeah. And in... Uh, the movie, gangster movie. Oh, it's uh, in Miller's Crossing. And then there's Mink the Merciless. Yes. <laughs> Which she kind of is. <laughs> uh, well, what other thoughts? The other thing that I uh, enjoyed about this is the vagueness of the technology. I did too. And I think it was a strength, not a weakness, a, a feature, not a bug, in that... You understand they mentioned dimensions once, and you, they talk about coming through. So you understand it, it, it's some gateway they're Portal. helping to build, uh, but you don't know much. And it makes sense, because the only character who would know about the technology are the children, who couldn't explain it other than in these... Can't even spell it. Yeah, yeah. really vague, Hexagonal. strange way. So you are cut off from that part of the story in the same way that the mother is. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessary for us to know because I think the point of view of this is the woman at home. And so 
knowing what she knows as she knows is the exact way this should be done. Mm-hmm. And I know we have other scenes. Do we have other scenes without her in it? I don't think so. I thought there was so. one, maybe? I think at the top, it's just the kids. Oh, yeah. 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 At one point. But for the most part, you're exactly right that we shouldn't know exactly yeah. what's going on because she doesn't. So, And it's important to have that scene with the kids once to really establish that Mink is not making this up. Right. Well, that opening scene of just uh, talking to the rosebush. Yeah. That's a hook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if I had a nickel. <laughs> Would you like Han- a nickel? Handful of Taco Bell laying on the ground, <laughs> talking to a rosebush. <laughs> oh, I wish that wasn't true. Well, uh, oh, uh, I love the little nightmarish rendition of Twinkle Twinkle Star, little yeah, star at yeah, the top. Uh, yeah. There's just all sorts of great little mm-hmm. touches. And uh, the sounds of explosions, and then you hear children laughing yep, while yeah. those explosions are happening. Yep. And just the slow, it's not slow. What's great about it is that the husband has to go through every step that. His she wife did. already did, but he has to do it in this very condensed really short period of time. time. And I thought both the script and Parley Bear's performance yep. captured that really well. Also, we have this old-time radio, and I think we've talked about this, uh, I think, recently with Catherine, too, about these hysterical woman tropes. This seems she very justified, it. yeah. She's very justified. And then at the end, the narrator says the effect that those blue shadows and hearing that stuff had on them, they both wanted to scream. So once the husband was in the same headspace as his wife, they were in the same level of terror. Peekaboo. Right. I see you. And that scream. Well, let's vote, gentlemen. Joshua, you're up. Oh, am I? Um, Let's see. I don't think this is going to really surprise anyone when I say that this is... A classic. Like I said, I think it is much better dramatized than it is on the page. On the page, it's like, clever, Bradbury. (laughs) I like that. Uh, But this has such emotional impact, and I can totally understand why people were shocked at that time. Because this is on CBS radio. Mm-hmm. Mainstream audience. These are the same people who might be tuning in to, to leave it to Beaver. Right. And this yeah. is on your radio. And not like there wasn't anything shocking going on in the 50s. That you know, Lenny Bruce and the Beats, uh, William Burroughs. Yeah, if they were adapting William Burroughs on the radio, I might be shocked. If the little kids were like, I have a game outside. We're playing naked lunch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that might be a bit much. But, Ernie um, Kovacs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying challenging yeah in the sense uh, of not uh, normal yes you're right it's a different type of challenge <laughs> right. this is weird right uh, i'm uncomfortable now let's see what this camera can do take the gorilla mask off please <laughs> so yeah this is a classic i have no criticisms of it myself i i will agree I really loved it, and compared against other suspense, I consider it a classic of suspense as well. I think it's really interesting, really suspenseful, uh, really builds, and as Tim said, uh, we know where it's going, but aha, we got you. Don't be bored. That's exactly, you're supposed to feel what she's feeling. I'm going to take it a step further and propose, since there's so many different versions of this, that for the next few years or so, that we make this a tradition, (laughs) Well, just like we do the signalman, for uh, Christmas, right? 
how about if we start doing zero hours for five, six years on New Year's Eve as a tradition and try to hammer out all of them? It's hard to go from this to some of the other zero hour. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I Let's find out. Idea. There's one from General Mills Radio yeah. Theater. So it's like the Sears Radio Theater we yeah. listened to last week, only General Mills ads. <laughs> I cannot wait. Local relevance? Go General Mills. You support most of my friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will call this a classic. Um, as I was saying, like there are things in it that I did not enjoy as I was going, but they ended up being like, that is to the benefit of this episode, that I did not enjoy that. It made it even better. Right. Uh, it is the aspects that are like, this is really creepy and uncomfortable that make me think, I don't want to listen to this every New Year's Eve. <laughs> ah! um, Too late. I've made the decision. It's a thing now. This is not a democracy. So It's a republic. It triumvirate? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can also leave comments on episodes. Let us know what you think. Vote in polls. Even easier than leaving a comment. You can send us messages. You can link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store and get swag if you want a mysterious old Radio Listing Society t-shirt or hoodie. I think we have hoodies. We have bags. We have totes. I love totes. You can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Come on. Be like Carl. And uh, we might even uh, bump your uh, request up to the top of the list if you're a patron. Now, there's probably a bunch of patrons who we haven't got to the oh, no. <laughs> request yet, and I'm going to hear about it. But uh, if we haven't and you are a patron, let us know. We'll listen to your requests. Uh, that's what money buys you. <laughs> Here's another benefit to being a patron. You get to see our monthly live onstage performances as we, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company, recreates classic old-time radio dramas and a lot of our own original work live on stage monthly and have been doing it monthly for years. If you'd like to see what we're performing this month and where we're performing, just go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com and there you will see what we're performing, where we're performing, and how to get tickets to come see us but if you're a patreon you get to see that as part of your patreon donation because we film them and give them to our patreons those that film of us uh performing not just random film of like <laughs> super eights of old columbo i don't know what i'm talking about hey what's coming up next i will be attempting to change the minds of my two co-hosts about a series i dearly love frontier gentlemen with an episode entitled The Powder River Kid. Until then... What a game. Such excitement they hadn't known in years. Handful of Taco Bell laying on the ground, <laughs> talking to a rose bush. <laughs>